attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin. Founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, brothers, Adam and Brett Bohm. The middle of three generations of campers at Camp Ojibwa. Part-time summer residents of Eagle River, Wisconsin. The boys and I had a fantastic conversation. You're going to hear all about that. In other news, the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast National Tour has come to a close. Tonight, I'm coming to you live from Lexington, Kentucky. It was an astounding success, several miles on the van, but I met with about 40 guys from Ojibwa days gone by. So you're going to get to hear a lot of those podcasts in the near future. It was incredible. One little pile of words cannot possibly do justice to how cool it was to get to some of these guys. Some of these guys who frankly haven't even set foot at camp in 50 years, some of them. Amazing stuff. You're going to really enjoy those stories. I was really, really honored to be able to go and do it. Okay, enough about that. The trip's over. Let's get back to what this is all about. It's interview time. Here we go. Adam Bohm. Brett Bohm. Right here. On the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. years at camp? Uh, Brett Bohm. I was started at camp as a camper in 1981. My last year was 1993. Adam Bohm. I started as a camper in 1984. I was 10 years old and I went through 1990. Very nice. So how do you guys first know about Camp Ojibwa? Our father was a staff man in 1967 and 1968, I believe those dates are correct. So way back when, um, Mickey needed some guys at the waterfront. My dad had friends that went to camp, came interviewed, and hired them. And that was kind of it. So my dad still had that bug or feeling and nostalgia for camp, even though he was never a camper there. But you see a lot of that today where people went for one summer and it just impacted them that much. So many years later, he had some friends that went up for post-camp and it was 1979, I think, was our first time that we went to post-camp. Mm. So that was our first 
Camp Ojibwe experience driving. I think it might have taken us eight hours to get up there. Nice. <laughs> so you guys did a few years of post-camp before you became campers. Yeah, I was five years old at the, that point. I mean, it was a long trip to get up there. So I think we we may have stayed there, what, the maybe full two week. weeks? No, we were there for no? a full week. Full week, for yeah. sure. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So since you already had experience, uh, did you get a camp call as well? Like, did they come over and do the slides? or? Yeah. Well, when in 1981, I was 10 years old, it was time for me to go to camp. And um, my dad called up Mickey. He's like, Mickey, time to sign Brett up for camp. And Mickey's like, okay, I'll come over and do a presentation. My dad's like, he doesn't need one. He knows camp. It's fine. And he's not going anywhere else. So, you know, you don't have to do it, Mickey. It was like, Al and I are coming. So they came over with their screen and their <laughs> slide projector and, uh, you know, did their slideshow. But it didn't matter. I, my dad had me signed up to go to camp anyways. Nice. Now, I was always going to camp. I mean, I was following in Brett's footsteps. He's three years older than I am, so... I went three years after him. Plus, I was at post-camp since I was five, so I knew the grounds and I knew where to go. I worshipped, you know, a lot of the older kids that were at post mm. were campers at camp. I got to know them, and it was I was comfortable. That's a real in, too. When you get yeah. there, you got a brother there, you got these right. older guys you know. Right. You're like, yeah. Right. By the way, I like that you keep pointing out that I'm three years older. <laughs> <laughs> in case anyone has missed that, there's a slight age gap. <laughs> so you get there... Your first, what's the first thing you remember about going? Well, you'd gone to post camp. So the, when you got up there that first time, that long eight hour trip, what's the very first thing you can remember about camp? You know, I can't really remember. I remember things at post camp, but not necessarily the arriving. But my first time at camp as a camper, so on, we took the buses up like they still do, but they always stopped at a picnic spot and had lunch. Mm. So we'd stop, you'd get off the bus sit for it because it was such a long drive sit for like half hour hour get back on the bus and then head the rest of the way to camp um so my first year in 81 it was storming out so the buses pulled over and to stop but my bus for whatever reason just kept going oh wow so those other buses the kids never got off but the driver stopped and took a pit stop so when we pulled into camp we were the first and only bus and i was the only kid from cabin four that was on that Oh, wow. That's so nice. <laughs> I, I get to camp and I'm kind of like, okay, you know, what's going on? I go over in my cabin because they told you when you got off the bus what cabin you were on. And, and uh, I met one of my counselors and I'm kind of talking to him and he's like, you know, there's your bag. Is your mitt in there? So I went and I grabbed my mitt and I had played catch with my counselor on the campus until the other buses arrived. And really that I remember had a huge impact of just making me comfortable in an uncomfortable situation of being like a 10 year old camper first timer and there really aren't a lot of kids around yeah for sure yeah having that sort of one-on-one -on -one bonus time right who was the counselor you know i can't remember his name i've looked it up in the cabin yeah it's 35 <laughs> years ago so right. that, the the name it was a guy that was there for one year right but mm. he was a real nice guy I, I remember the staff in the cabin but they were all like one-timers they weren't Right. It right. wasn't a lot of, back in the day, at least that time, mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of uh, long-term guys that had been there forever. There were a chunk, but there were a lot of, like, staff men that were from, like, UW-Lacrosse or something, from yeah. the schools in the area. Or New that, Zealand. Right, a lot, a lot of lot foreigners. Of yeah, there were a lot of the waterfront staff. 
Yeah, that seems to be something that kind of goes in cycles with camp, with like how big the camp is, how many JCs stick around. You know, right. there'll be years. When I started, it was definitely that way because I was one of those. You know, I was a I was a college hire, and and there were ten or twenty got between us and then the foreigners, the, the New Zealanders and and Kiwi. Right. If you guys remember Selwyn and those guys, yeah. I mean, all the waterfront guys. Those guys were one offs. Daniel Lennon, all that sort of stuff. And now, I mean, we hire no one. <laughs> like, yeah. we hire one new person a summer, maybe. Yeah, I mean, we also a lot of the old old school guys weren't so into the waterfront. Mm. So sure, of course, we had to supplement with some guys from outside the fray to uh, do waterfront. Yeah, that's definitely that's always been the unsolved mystery. Like, how do you get guys to like waterfront? I mean, now the the Belizean yeah. contingent really right. handles that. I mean, yeah. that crew really is a big part of the waterfront. That and Todd Jacobson um, being one of the waterfront directors, but. Yeah, it's it's tough to get guys who really like the waterfront. All land guys. Yeah, which is funny because when you're a kid, right? Like, don't you? I mean, I think the kids really love like banana boating and, and tubing. And we didn't have that. We there were like there was like it's like two sailing boats. Right. It was sailing. You know, it was basically it just was different. It wasn't right. the focus of camp. Now yeah. a lot of camp is focused on the waterfront. That's true. But back yeah. then, it's like you did anything to get out of like instruction at the waterfront. <laughs> sure. There's anything a, you can. Right, unless it was moonlight dip, which uh, they don't have anymore. So it, right. it used to it'd be like a beautiful night, and they'd be like, "Okay, late evening activity is moonlight dip." So everyone goes butt naked down to the waterfront. <laughs> <laughs> of course can't do anything sure but dating back a real funny story that i totally remember so everyone's down at the waterfront butt naked and there's a uh, pontoon boat or houseboat passing by the front of the waterfront out by the raft and gary spiro starts to lead everyone in on the raft in jumping jacks as the boat passes by <laughs> It's hilarious. Now, you know, the police would be over there. Yes, back absolutely. It was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you said that was 35 years ago. So 32 years ago, uh, what is your first memory of getting there? Really, my memories are really start with post-camp. Yeah. And I always remember, like, the smell of the cabin. Mm. You know, I love, like, the musty smell of the cabin and the smells of food coming from the mess hall. Yeah. You know, that's what reminds me of the camp. And the bugle calls, whenever I hear that, it's like, it brings me right back. Nice. So it's like the simple things. And you guys had a live bugler at the yes, time. Yes, we did. We did. Well, it was Paul James most of the time. I don't know what it was at post camp. It could have been the tape back mm. then that you just yeah, put in. It was the tape. I but actually did blow the bugle a few times. Nice. <laughs> For sure. I, I blew taps a few times and some other calls. But yeah, Paul James was the main guy. Then uh, Jim Zimmering was, mm. and Paul wasn't around. And there was there were a couple summers where Jim was like out at an overnighter or something, and Paul wasn't there. So I did it. But I do remember one night in particular, I blew taps. And uh, Mickey took me on and uh, showing me all the stars and the constellations and all this, and then took me back into the kitchen for, like, a special treat. Nice. It was, it was pretty cool. It was an underrated background story. There. For sure. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I would love. I'd, I'd love us to have a bugler now. I mean, it's been so long. We haven't had anyone. Um, Gabe Zalek did taps a few times for a year or two, sort of in the early mid two thousands or so. Um, but other than that, there's been no no one doing it live my whole time there. 
I would just love it. I mean, the tapes are great because the thing with the tape is, well, not with that. <laughs> I don't know. I can I can fumble around on a guitar, but I don't know about brass. Brass is sort of out of my wheelhouse. But but there is something though. Uh, to, talking about that to the tape because the tape is it's very specific, like it sounds exactly the same every time. So there's a certain familiarity. As soon as you hear it, you know right away what it's going to sound like, and there is something to that it's for also sure. Coming over the PA where the bugle came from underneath the tree bunch oh yeah so you would blow in one direction and then you would turn around and blow it in the other direction (laughs) go north and then south oh nice so and you know you'd hear it echoing so you you could be out on the trail or the lake courts instead of it coming through the pa so loud and clearly you can't miss it Mm -hmm. you'd hear it echoing in the distance so you do have a different nostalgia effect with the actual bugle yeah, I didn't even think about that idea. Like if it's lunch or something, you're hearing it all the way out in the far field or something. And yeah. 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 Wow. So uh, we mentioned naked boys in the water a minute ago. So you guys are there, prime dip and shower years. Are you dips or showers? You know, it's a funny story. So my <laughs> first year, I mean, I was soft. You know, my mom took good care of me. I'm the younger one. I'm going in the shower. Why, why would you go in the lake? It's freezing. <laughs> it's dark. And it's so warm in the shower. That's where I'm going. So I went a few times, and I come back to the cabin. Everyone's giving me a hard time. You took a shower, Boma? How couldn't you take a shower? You know, I I submitted to the peer pressure, and I started going dip every time. And I loved, I actually loved the dip because it's so refreshing. You're in, you're out so fast, and you're done. It's a good way to start the day. Nice. And uh, so I didn't mind the dip. And I love the exercises. Everyone talks about the exercises. I still like... I tell my kids, but they have no idea, about like how Al used to do the finger flicks and the boxing. He would put us through like this little, you know, regimen. It's just funny what you remember. Yeah. Uh, four, three, two, two one. one. Ho! And, yeah, and I tell my kids, like, he used to say, breathe in, breathe in, hold it, hold it. All right, exhale. And everyone, you know, blows the air out. You know, I do it with my kids, but they have no clue. Yeah. But those are the memories that stick with you. That yeah. Dipper showers. So There's... I ended up being a dipper. There's a little bit of a rumor that calisthenics may come back this year. That's you heard it here first, <laughs> folks. Yeah, that is, there's, it's. It. We'll yeah. see if it actually happens, but that rumor is in the air. <laughs> great. And dip as well. You know, anyone you ask if they did dip or sh- you know what they did, everyone says dip because they're not going to own up to the shower. Uh, the other thing too about the shower, <laughs> the shower was overrated because after five minutes, the oldest kids that would go shower monopolized the shower, used up all the hot water. So it was colder than it was in the lake. So there really was <laughs> no point. So if you kind of thought about it, dip was the way to go. I was a dip guy. It was fast, in and out. Um, and it was refreshing. You know, it's too bad that can't still go with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we could do the dip or shower if the nudity part weren't yeah. necessarily right. so, so structural to the part of it. Steve Alrod still claims that he does dip or shower. He does wear a bathing suit, though. Every morning, he says, from his house, he jumps in the lake. Wow. Yeah. That's very impressive. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the weather is. He's going out. Oof. <laughs> Oof. I, can t- I, have not been, I have not been in the lake in any form in a decade. So I'm good. I'm good. I'm 100% shower guy. <laughs> it's cold. It's freezing. I didn't lose anything in there. I'm good. Yeah, it's just me. Um, so in your time, um, are you still doing instruction in the mornings? Is that sort of the, instead of leagues or anything, you're still? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, instruction. A lot of people didn't like instruction. I actually loved it because that's, I have a few stories with that. 
when I was um, like my beginning years, uh, my favorite sport was football, and we didn't really have flag fo- football back then, but we had flag football instruction. Mm. So my favorites, like the counselors I looked up to, were Gary Sparrow, David Rosen, and Brian Schwartz. And they all were uh, heavy into football. They played in high school, and they were the instructors. So I wanted to go nice. and like learn from them and do you know what I could. I actually I did learn from them. I ended up playing four years of football in high school. I never played before that, but because of them and their influence, that definitely changed you know my outlook. And, that's awesome. And going through and playing four years. And that's what the goal, I think, of the instruction really was, right? right. Was to teach guys other sports. And, and, right. and for you guys, I mean, nowadays we play so much stuff. Um, did you play football in the week then? Yeah. So a few guys would get to yeah. during the summer. But, yeah, so, I mean, that's the thing I, I think there's a, people don't get is, like, those periods were to teach guys all these other things that we weren't getting to do, whereas these days, between rec period and the regular periods – we play everything. Like you just constantly, you know, you're playing anything that we have. Plus, I learned how to play softball. I never played softball at home. I played mm. baseball, but it's you know a difference. Right. Sure. So I was able to learn like how to hit, how to position yourself, and they actually taught us things that stayed with me. Nice. The younger kids too, though, back in at least my day, is it was a ton of peach league softball. It was pretty much all we did. Um, we didn't play flag football. We played soccer. Um, we barely played any basketball because there weren't enough courts. All the other kids monopolized them. So it was literally, so to break things up, I feel like they had to have the instruction in the morning. So we're doing a different activity. And then we'd usually only play like two more leagues throughout the day, afternoon and then um, in the evening. Hmm. There was always a big rec swim, but it wasn't as stacked up now where you're like activity, 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 activity. There was a lot more go to two activities in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the evening, then late evening. Right. So the days were kind of spread out a little bit more. Yeah. And I don't remember one instruction period where we had to go down to the waterfront. I was probably in cabin three, so it was my. It had to be my first two years. Mm-hmm. So cabin three, 1984, uh, they were teaching us how to rowboat, and who was teaching us how to rowboat but Mickey Schwartz. <laughs> in the rowboat showing us turns and stuff awesome yeah not that many people can claim and Mickey taught them how to rowboat absolutely that's incredible yeah, that's what that that is definitely some instruction we need the rowboats are a lost cause I think at this point kids are like I I got nothing Uh, that's so funny so having that that day that's a little less structured than, than we have now. I mean, if you're a camper now, you're doing five, six periods a day. Sometimes on a crazy day, we can shove in seven if we do stack up championships or something like that. How do you feel like you have a lot of downtime? What's happening in that time that you're not running around from sport to sport like we do now? I feel like there was a lot more downtime. I mean, this, the, the structure that they have now is way better mm-hmm. and the fact that they have more facilities like as a young kid we did not touch a basketball unless it was in instruction we did not touch a football unless it was in instruction so it was you know a lot of soccer and a lot of softball for the most part um there was no newcomb they have so there's a much bigger variety plus there were only like two ski boats or something there's no tubing you just mm-hmm. water ski there's so many more opportunities for the kids today i think it's way better than it was back then and uh in that day and age you could get lost in the mix easily and just kind of be wandering around 
Yeah. Know, but it was a different era back right. then. Sure. You know, people really didn't go to the waterfront that much just because no one was interested in going to the waterfronts. And they didn't have, you know, the rafts that they have now and the other activities that are going right. on. They didn't really have uh, banana boats, you know. Um, but for the mornings, you know, it would be instruction, and then you'd have a rec period. So you could do whatever you want. Sometimes they did have basketball instruction that you could go to. Mm. But a lot of times you would make up uh, games with your friends. You would try to, you know, go play basketball. Um, you'd play a lot of pinners or play catch mm. on a campus. Uh, or counselors would be hitting softballs on a campus. Gotcha. So there would be those kind of activities where you just find your way. You go do something fun. They didn't have video games. So you're not right. Your I was going to say, well, that was part of what I was going to ask. Like, yeah. you, you don't have that sort of like, I mean, you might have comic books or something right. like that, but you're right. not sitting around playing on a Game Boy. Right. Um, you're not listening to your own music, probably. Right. Uh, <laughs> the counselors would have a big, big stack system with giant speakers. <laughs> system, and right. they blast it on the campus. Right. And that's what you're listening to. Perfect. Right. There's probably a lot, more, a lot of room for uh, mischievous play and stuff like yeah. that. There's a lot looser. But it was a lot of fun because you right. would hang with your counselors, you hang with your cabin mates, and you find something to do. You're yeah. Creative. How many counselors do you have in the cabin at that time? Uh, it was four, three four or four. Yeah. yeah. Three or four. And it was like like one or two senior and two juniors, or yeah, something like that. Something like that. They, usually like two and two, hmm. but they were just uh, cots on each side, so there weren't these lofts and right you know, packed in there like there is now. So you had like the shelves above your bed. You had two nightstands and then your cot, mm. right. which made it great because you could go up to the counselor's porch and hang out and have a rap session. Right. You just sit on the beds there. And now it's a little harder with the bunk beds. You're not able to like create an area. Although I yeah. know they do in the middle of the cabin now, which is great. Yeah. But yeah, we always used to go up to the counselor's porch and just sit on someone's bed and start tight. Nice. In a great area. Then through the window, there kids be hanging out. Right. But they we were packed in there too. There were eighteen to. 20 kids stuffed into a cabin. Still in the single beds, too, Still before the bunk beds. Bed. Yeah. yeah, that's a tight cabin. <laughs> like, there was always someone sleeping underneath the coat rack. Ah. <laughs> but I feel like back then... Yeah, thinking about it, that's not the worst. I, I, <laughs> there was space. And, you know, I think about, like, the day and the program and the instruction. One of my favorite times was rest period. You know, everything changes these days. It's different than back then. But back then... You had to be in your cabin. You were not allowed to come out unless there was a staff activity. You'd watch softball or basketball. Mm -hmm. That's what they were doing. Otherwise, you're in your cabin. You're hanging out with your cabin. And like I said, you don't have video games. So what do you do? You create, like, you know, slap shots. So you, like, roll up, a, you know, someone's socks, and you take a hockey stick, and someone's a goalie, and you go, like, back and forth. Nice. Your staff is trying to sleep. But it's fun stuff like that, or rafter balls. So, like, those were sure. the fun activities where you're, like, with your cab and you hang out and you find something to do. And they're nice. also big, you know, because we have weighted meals, there would be a JCSE uh, challenge softball game, and they played a lot more softball, basketball as challenges. But we'd be eating lunch, and all of a sudden, one of the JCs would storm the mess hall and make, like, a huge announcement. We challenge the SEs today, softball, rest period. And then they start doing the whole lineup. And, they, you know, it was very theatrical. Mm. So-and-so playing short and batting fourth. And it was – so it was a big production. Got camp all fired up about this – meaningless softball game that's happening at rest period yeah. right. um, instead of everyone just kind of going out there and knowing that it's happening. So it was kind of a big build up and, you know, a lot of that happened from the weighted meals. Right. 
At that time, um, do they still announce the uh, the schedule as well? Like, is someone verbally announcing it as opposed to posting it? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, to announce their games and everyone gets a little restless but you know there are memories to everything i didn't mind it but i understand why it's different these days you might as well yeah. post in the cabin i mean that yeah makes sense. i mean for me who has never been there we've we've done it um i want to say two different times since i've been there we lost power for a period of time that made us where we could, where we had to do it that way right. And I remember thinking, wow, this really takes a long time. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like by the time you get to watermelon, everyone's asleep. Like, right. what are we doing? Right. Can we just go? Right. So. Half the people don't know where they're going. <laughs> right. They're all running out to the program director. <laughs> it's right. like, why did you even say anything? Just right. Right. come see me. Right. Yeah. But to think about doing it that way all the time for everything. I'm just right. like, no one's ever going to make it to their games. What are we doing? But I suppose there it's just a different time. For every meal, usually. Yeah. Right? Before yeah. the meal. And then... Uh, the, you would have like certain people like volunteer to stand at the doors as the kids walked in to look at their hands and make sure they're washed. Oh, very nice. And if you were tricky and you didn't wash your hands, they were dirty, you just flip them back and forth. That way, no one would see how dirty they are. Because if you didn't get into the mess hall quick enough, you were stacking for sure. Oh, right. uh, okay. Uh, so, talk to me about the food at the time. I mean, the food was amazing. I know everyone has talked about how Al cared about the food, and, you know, he would get the best food there, and Denny's continued that. Well, I was going to say, you guys are there, especially early on, you're there right for the transition. So right. how does, does does that change the food? Are there significant changes, other than the fact that we got away from the weighted meals eventually? But, like, right. as campers at that time when, when the switch happened, did you notice changes in the food or anything? No, the food really stayed the same. Still amazing. The only thing that changed was Otto, who, you know, you've heard about mm-hmm. already. Um, he was amazing. He would just bake everything, and he, there were ton, always tons of desserts, and they were always so ridiculous. Nice. I don't, I'm sure you heard the story. He was a baker in town, and then I guess he was looking for something. Mickey has told us the story. He was right. looking for something to do, or he retired, I think, and Al said, well, why don't you come to camp, and you could, you know some things for us here. Yeah. He lured them in by saying, I want you to use the best ingredients you could find. I want you to make whatever you want. You know, basically gave him free reign. He's like, I just want the best for my boys. Right. And so he's kind of like, two month gig, you know, I get to do whatever I want, best ingredients. I still remember his chiffon cake and Right, the bow ties and the chocolate uh, chip sweet rolls. It was That's awesome. Yeah. We've got some of the recipes floating around. So we're trying to, we talked about it last summer, didn't get it done, but maybe visiting weekend this year, yeah. doing some bow ties or something right. from the original recipe. Right. We actually had the, the holders. Nice. Recipes. My mom asked them for the recipe. She wanted to make them for, for us. And she actually made them a few years over visiting weekend. Um, you know, what was this? Probably in the 90s. Mm. Yeah. And so she would go in the kitchen at camp and it takes, it's a two day process and she would go through and bake all the cookies for visiting weekend. I mean, wow. People die over these bow ties. It's amazing. And Brett, go ahead. You have actually made them a few times. I've made them several times. Wow. We're, we're, we're probably, we have the recipe and I'm probably the only one left around that knows pretty much how they were made. Nice. Seeing my mom and uh, you know experiencing the the recipe is very cryptic. 
<laughs> and it's also for like 300 people, as a, right? It's, it's chopped down. Okay, I was going to say, because that seems to be the difficulty, is like getting it to the right size to just make for a few people. Right, well, it still puts out, I think, like 70 some of <laughs> So that's the chopped down version. I know it still makes quite a few, but um, it's the whole process, because the recipe's very cryptic. You kind of have to know what you're doing in order mm. to get them in. They're still not like Otto would make them, but they're pretty damn good. Nice. They're pretty good. Nice. But yeah, no, the food was always, you know, Al would walk around, eat the salad, it's good for you, drink the water. That's what yeah. I still remember, too. I tell my kids, eat the salad, eat the fruits, <laughs> eat the fruits. <laughs> right. It was, you know, it's good for you. But Al, right. was, Al was such a charismatic sort of guy, and he'd always give these speeches at camp. Do not, I repeat, do not do this. Do not, some stupid boy. So there was one time... Um, where some kids came back from town with uh, slingshots. Oh. And Al confiscated them. And he, so he goes up to give a speech after a meal. These, you know what these are? These are I'm sorry's. You know, when you hurt someone, all you're going to say is I'm sorry. And either you're going to get hurt or you're going to hurt another kid. He goes on, these are I'm sorry's and we don't want them at camp. They're not allowed. And he says, away with these I'm sorry's. Well, throws it just over his shoulder. Well, it happens to hit a Pearl, his wife, and the head staff. And he turns around and goes, I'm sorry. And it was just kind of pointing where you know, he's talking about you know, their I'm sorry. And, you know, then that happens. He's saying, I'm sorry. But it wasn't the same sort of reason that he was portraying. You get the point. But That's Al funny. Was just his personality. It was great. It was great. He always had this just booming voice and, yeah. uh, you know, just great stories. While you guys are there, so he's um, sort of doing the kitchen and the grounds. He's not as, as 100% hands-on as he had been earlier in, in time. Um, is he still interacting with you guys sort of one-on-one as like during the camp day at all? Do you bump into Al and have a conversation? Is that a thing that happens? Or Yeah, he would be walking around. And he, you know, he was great with, you know, just kids, his personality, his charisma. Um, but it was, you know, he was kind of this... Uh, figure that stood above everyone else, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you more saw him later on as, you know, hey, Denny, is everybody happy, you know, and he's doing his shtick before rib night or, you know, Dennis, yes, I'll roll him, you know, because everyone's ready for steak night. Um, so not as much Denny and Mickey were more present, uh, yeah. Denny especially. Um, out on the day-to-day because Denny was head counselor back then. So he was dealing with all the staff. Mickey was supervising everything else. And Al was still in great shape, but he was older at that point. Yeah, I mean, he's over 80 at that point. So, I mean, you think in, on your head, in your head, you just go, oh, wow, an 80-year-old guy running around camp. That, but, like yeah. Old. And he was still, he was just well-respected, you know. We always thought that it was true when he would take Cantina away because he found so many rappers on the ground. Later, we found out that that wasn't the case. He just, the canteen ran low. <laughs> <laughs> We're out of canteen? Okay, too many rappers tonight. You know, I hurt my back from bending over and picking up all the rappers on the ground. So, no canteen. Classic. We used to get canteen used every to get night. canteen every night. Every night. night. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. On top That's of amazing. Uh, on t- wow. Right. right. <laughs> you got a wild camp there. Nice. That's a. I was gonna say that's a lot of sugar that late at night. Oh, yeah. 
I feel bad now when I get like if a cabin wins counselor hunt or something and they give them cokes at, at ten o'clock and they have cookies. I'm like, oh, I feel sorry <laughs> for those counselors. But yeah, that's amazing. Well, I really know Al from post camp. So he, I mean, at post camp it was so fun. Um, you know, you'd have bingo and he's handing out the prizes. I just remember his engaging personality. But I was so young at that point. I just remember him more like as a figurehead. I remember his image. I remember him, you know, talking at camp. But my memories uh, really transitioned to like Mickey and Denny. Hmm. Yeah. But Pearl, everyone I know I've listened to the podcast has told you Pearl was tough. She was, I think, more tough love. And people talk about like she would get on the uh, PA. And someone's like, if some counselor is carrying a camper around, she'd be like, put that camper down. <laughs> camp <it's> in. <laughs> right. Nice. So. so she didn't soften as the years went by. <laughs> no. But she was tight, but she was sweet at the same time. When yeah. I was at post camp, like I always remember, she, she's engaging too. But she was just the tougher element to Al, you know. They balance each other out. Yeah. Someone had to keep Al alive. He was just a you know, man child <laughs> with a bunch of boys following him around, willing to do whatever he said. So, you know, Pearl, who uh, I think was a gym teacher back when, you know, a female gym teacher was mm. kind of unheard of. Right. So, um, you know, so she, she really kept things in line. Mm. But, you know, Al just had such a, he had such a sweet smile and personality. It was this guy that, you know, he could still, you know, come on, Pearly, you know, let me get away with this one sort of thing. That's awesome. But, uh, no, they were both, they were both real sweet people, and we did really know them initially through post-camp, which gave a different persona, because at that point, as you've seen with Denny and Sandy, you know, once the summer's over, uh, right. <laughs> you, know, you take a deep breath, everyone survived, it's all good. Exactly. And, you know, now it's hotel time. Yeah. But you talked about uh, Denny and Mickey. So I think about today, the kids and, and how like an average camper interacts with the program, what we would call the program staff now, which is what the head counselor was then, was basically writing the program and doling it out. Did you guys have good relationships with, I mean, it sounds like with Mickey already, obviously, and with Denny at that time, was that something you interacted with him a lot or? Not so much when we were campers, but once we were on staff and I was on, I was doing program, I think like three summers. Hmm. And that was like still early on in the transition if it was three summers, it was like 91, 92, 93. So it had camp for a while, but still building it up, still dealing with a lot of the parents and stuff. So I dealt with uh, Denny on a lot of, because he was, obviously he knew the program every which way. Right. But then he'd be getting, you know, we'd have the program show it to him, you know, the how he wanted about 10 minutes ago. And then some mom calls and says, my son wrote that he hasn't had enough basketball. So then we go back and switch it. You know, sort of There's a lot of around. Yeah. But, um, you know, Denny took what Al had developed, the formula and the grounds and what makes camp special and continued it, and, you know, changed it to how it should work in today's times, mm -hmm. you know, adding facilities and just uh, the different programming um, and recruited and built camp back up. Our, the, what was it, the first summer, they had like 108 campers in 86? Yeah, it dropped down in 86, yeah. yeah. But we didn't know the difference at that point. We didn't right. know if sure. a lot of campers or not that many. It was still fun to us. It right. It was just different. And then, I mean, I don't know when you want to talk about the first year of transition, going with, uh, switching over to Denny, where Denny ran the show. 
So obviously, I mean, Denny's feeling a lot of pressure. Um, you know, it, he, it's a new regime. He's got to bring in more campers, and it's essentially just him. He's the director. He's uh, he's got some people running the program, but he's really running the whole show. Yeah. And so he decided uh, he wanted to keep a lot of things the same, but at the same time, I think he thought, I have to transition a little bit. I have to change things for the kids of today. Hmm. You know, things were evolving at that point. And, uh, you know, he implemented some things that uh, were interesting that didn't work out, but he came up with creative ideas. You know, he continued, like, circus day and gold rush day and stuff like that, Um, birthday nights. That continued for a little bit, but then eventually faded away. Yeah, I'm sure. People have told you about birthday night. I've heard about the birthday. I didn't. I knew the about the poem. poem. Was the best part. Right. right. I knew about that. I had no idea about the sitting at tables by the month you were born and having yes. everyone had cakes. I was like, that's fantastic. Yeah. Which actually was cool because you end up sitting with kids that you never sat with otherwise. Yeah. Right. Right. But the birthday poem was amazing. Elliot did a great job. <laughs> I think that should be brought back. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That was dangerous, but it was the most fun if you knew like what was going on. Yeah. Um, but there was one one day that Denny uh, brought in, and that was backwards day. Remember this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so spaghetti for day, breakfast. Right. Was everything was backwards. <laughs> so like the bugle call was taps in the morning when you woke up. Okay. And then you go eat breakfast and it's spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> and then even leagues were backwards. So you play softball, and instead of running to first base, you're running to third base. Backwards. <laughs> backwards. Right. Everything was backwards. Nice. So that didn't last, but it was an interesting day. Sure. It was an interesting day. Logistically complicated. Right. Sure. Yes. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that you can never, he always has plenty of creative ideas, that's for yes. sure. There was Hawaiian night. I actually have a great yeah. picture from Hawaiian night. It was just a theme night where you, I don't even know where people came up with their shirts, but people had Hawaiian shirts. Nice. To dinner, and it was like Hawaiian themed food, and it was, that was actually fun. A picture of like all these guys from, from back then. Did anyone ever um, talk yet about the 4th of July and how the staff used to be the fireworks crew? Was, that was one thing that was so, so underrated doing. Hmm. Was, oh, doing the oh, getting to be the ones who actually light the fireworks. Yeah, yeah. It was, that was a bonding thing. So if you survived that, you could survive that. <laughs> it's, it's a dud, it's a dud, and you're jumping, or, or oh no, it's lit, and you're jumping over the bench there. You right. know, and hiding, running out, out of the way. Oh, what the hell nice. we know? We were like 18 years old. Sure. You know, with right. torches, <laughs> with big bobs, you know. <laughs> and there were the OJ Singers. So mm. there was a group of like the, what, top. 15 singers, 10 singers or something at camp. And they would sing like as a chorus before they start lighting the fireworks. Nice. Denny was George Washington. So they used to canoe him in dressed as George Washington. (laughs) Of course they did. (laughs) And they come up and give a whole speech, you know, George Washington (laughs) with the OJ singers back behind him humming something. (laughs) Well, touching on that, you, you talk about the theatrical side of what camp is. So as far as that, the non-sports, the performing side of camp, did you guys take part in that sort of part of camp? We did. We were both, I think, on the chorus. I mean, back then you had to, everyone was in the Jubilee. So you had to go and do your singing in front of Paul oh, so James. Eight weeks only. So right. Paul right. right. James and Elliot's. And then you would do your little song, whatever they told you to sing. 
and then they would they would give you they would give you like initials Ah. You know, DNP. Oh, sure. So you guys know about the initials. I thought that was a well-kept secret. Right. I, I didn't even know what they meant. So I'm like, okay. So I guess I'm done here. And I ended up being on the chorus, which I, I wasn't so into. I wasn't interested in being on the chorus. But once you're there and you see, oh, you know, there are other kids here and you're all hanging out. No one necessarily wants to be there. You'd rather be playing sports. Sure. But it turns out. You know, it, it turns out fun. You meet different kids. Um, but the O.J. Singers, that was always like a big thing. Right, or the Super 8, the Special 8. The Special, special eight. 8. Now, did you guys ever make the O.J. Singers or the Special I 8? Was in the O.J. Singers. Was in OJ Singer. Wow. I think it was Special 8, too. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. This shows you how weak. I was, like, well, I was going to say, you're underrating your singing ability, clearly. Because you did not get a DNP and also make the O.J. I'll tell you that. Uh, but, like, the shows, though, you know, they would, the shows were so fun. Yeah. I, mean, I was watching uh, Grease last night with my kids. Mm. It was live. And... Uh, they catch me like singing one of the songs. They're like, you know these songs? I'm like, I've probably been in Greece like, you know, half a dozen times. Most <laughs> of them at camp. I'm like, we did the uh, Maramita. We were the first ones to do the Maramita show. It was my potential year, I think, was the first year that's so, when it started. So that was back like in Like 89, 88? Awesome. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, we did Greece that year. I happen to remember. But those shows were funny and fun and you know the most fun were the rehearsals i mean you've heard about darren and david rosen we were definitely in that play so i think it was darren david rosen seth marks some of these people that listen will know what seth marks so he's hilarious rosie's funny and darren's funny so they're all always like screwing around during rehearsal <laughs> driving elliot crazy. <laughs> of course he never thinks it's going to come off okay and, of course, the kiss with Rosie and Darren. They always faked it during rehearsal. And we're, we all said that they have to do it. And it's, it's pretty legendary. There is video out there. I've seen a tiny little grainy video of it. But you can clearly tell the entire rec hall loses their mind. <laughs> but the whole play was so funny with those guys in it. It was so entertaining. And the rehearsal was fun. Right. And then putting it on. It was hilarious. Nice. Camp, yeah, camp ate it up. Right, but camp has such this reputation, it's such a jock camp. But, you know, there is the theater aspect was fun, and everyone got into it, or singing in the mess hall on rainy days, and, mm. um, you know, stunt and song night and collegiate week. It, the, the theater and the stage was definitely a big part of the camp experience. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. It's it's guys that might not normally do it or might not want to be doing it, right. but then when they take a chance and they do it, it's really this other thing comes out. Like, holy crap, I did this right. thing. It wasn't right. so bad, right. Right. <laughs> and right. it was a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. yeah. What about stunt nights? First of all, let's just get it out on the table. Uh, did you ever win Collegiate Week? I did. I How came m- in first, 1990, or sorry, 1990 was my last year as a camper, 1993, with Gary Siegel, Stu Cairo. We're bonded forever because we won collegiate. And did you ever win collegiate week? No. <laughs> Nin- Still kills him to 1983, this day. I lost by one point. <laughs> Bush Levy was our first pick. Day two or three, he's chasing Gary Spiro around cabin 13. Oh, no. And Gary, as, as Moshe's chasing him, Gary somehow like locked one of the doors that separated the porch from the cabin and most went over to hit it and pushed on the glass plate his hand went through it so he had stitches and basically was limited for the rest of the week and we still were only one point out (laughs) 
But yeah, so I have my collegiate trophy. I had it in a box in the basement. My younger son, Bennett, who was, I don't know, maybe six at the time, is like rummaging through all this stuff, and he finds the trophy. He's like, I want this. I'm like, good, go to camp. And you know, <laughs> meanwhile, he took it, and it's now like on his nightstand. That's awesome. Sitting there. Very cool. Right so stunt night. A, a very important part of any collegiate week. Uh, give me some good stunt night memories. I actually was going through a bunch of old family movies and stuff that we just had transition. We will have a bunch of camp videos. To awesome. Awesome. Um, so we're actually picking that stuff up after today. But as I'm going through the box, there's this old pink spiral notebook in there. I open it up, and what does it have? It has one of the stunts I wrote that when uh, Adam and I coached Collegiate Week together two years, but uh, one of those years, we picked the two out of the hat, and immediately after we picked the two, we're jumping up for joy because we got the two. Sure. And then we turn around and point at Stu Nitzkin, and we're like, Stu, we want you, because we knew Blaine Barnett was going one, so we got Stu with the two. And uh, we wrote a good stunt that year. It was a Dr. Seuss stunt, and I actually have the script still from when I wrote way back when. But there were, stunt night was Sometimes the pressure. best stunts were the ones that didn't place. Right. Mm. So, like, it's the last place team. They're not, you know, doing so good. So they go up there and, like, improvise. Though, right? Sure. Like, there's a smirk stunt, which yes. is hysterical. Adam so Stein had, had a few. Adam Stein was the coach of the smirk stunt, oh, wasn't <laughs> but then the, So I won Collegiate Week uh, in 93, and I can't even remember my stunt. It wasn't that good. I don't even know if we placed. And then the next year, I was sort of burnt out from writing the stunts, and Stu Cairo was my assistant. Um, so I'm like, listen, this is the theme. It's superheroes make um, Sam Matthew be the Penguin, and Brian Merrill is going to be Batman. Santiago was <laughs> the Hulk. It was like fitting characters for these. Like campers. body types or campers? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, write the stunts, and... You know, get it done. He hated me at that point. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and he wrote the stunt, and we got first place. So that song was fun. It was a lot of pressure, though, on the kids and the staff. Because, yeah. you know, two days into collegiate week, you're doing song Lots night, of practice. And, like, two or three days later, because sometimes it would break it up. So we'd do, like, five and five for mm. stunt night. It wasn't all on the same night. So if you picked that second night, you got an extra day of practice. It was huge. So, but, no, there was, I definitely had some good stunts and song nights uh, as a coach nice I wouldn't mind coming back and, and reusing that would be so them. much better now so much better right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know what I was doing. <laughs> have you ever seen uh, or heard about uh, Doc Knock doing the Rock and Robin the legendary I know that I just have heard that he did it I, I've never seen any video of it or anything is this a talent show thing or a he was just when he's visiting he uh, would start playing the song that he loved and he'd just go crazy over it <laughs> <laughs> it was way back when he might have done it first in a talent then show. he stopped mm. right i think he did do it in a talent show and then he stopped doing it like we have the last video the last time he did it like 19 what 89 or something or 90, 90 something then he wouldn't do it like the whole mess hall would go crazy and he still he just wouldn't do it he stopped wow yeah nice you go it on top that i definitely have to see yeah. for sure <laughs> It's like the Go Birdie Go. I mean, that's right. what we have now is the equivalent. But Rock and Robin, Rock and Robin. Yeah. You know, yeah. there, was just, there were certain uh, people from the past and things that they did that just kind of generated. Right. Camp legendary. Like, it doesn't take a big thing, you know. No. 
There's a guy, uh, he got the nickname Chowder just because he liked the corn chowder when they started serving it. And like, he just couldn't escape the nickname and it became enormous and there would be cheers for it and stuff. And he's like, I, I'm, I'm really good guys. I don't, I don't really need that nickname. But that's it. One camp thing. Who are your guys? Who are your guys? Whether we're talking about your, uh, like, when you're campers. So who are the guys you're in the cabins with that are are still your friends today, probably? And who are your counselor guys who really are the ones you click with? Well, really, when I think back to camp, my first year wasn't necessarily my best year. Actually, I wouldn't say worst, but it just was like a learning year. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of kids. It was a lot of kids in the cabin and a lot of kids, some kids I didn't know and some kids that just were there for a year and left, which was great because my second and third years at camp were amazing. Mm. So once like we, you know, weeded out, you know, the bad kids, we made it to year two and I had the same counselors, at least same JCs for cabin six and cabin 10, Gary Spiro and Todd Fishbein. They were so much fun and the best counselors. I couldn't have had better counselors to, you know, start me off at camp. I mean, they were crazy, but, uh, you know, they went out at night, but they'd come back, and we loved when they would wake us up, you know? You can't do that now. You get in trouble. We're like, when you come back, make sure you wake us up. We want to be woken up. That's funny. uh, So they would wake us up and just have a good time with us. It was harmless fun, and we just loved it. And then, they, you know, there were nights where they would stay in. We'd, you know, sit on the porch. Um, You know, they would get these tapes i remember gary sparrow would get some like tapes um of like scary stories or something mm. listen to him on his bed i mean it's just funny stuff that we just had the best time those two years and we requested them again for next the following year and they were staff again it's incredible yeah um for me because of the transition timing i feel like staff wise there weren't like particular staff that had an impact but there were so many characters from back in the day mm. like from when i was really young there was a guy ted Scherter and jay copel jay copel had notre dame like beaten everyone in collegiate week and then the last like day when it's like i got locked up they didn't get a point and they lost there's evan and adam and ld close and ken Merritt and yeah. um guys like i had neighbors that were staffed bobby jacobson lived Mm. next door to me heim lived behind me cough was down around the street um paul james was my counselor as co-counselors with him for several years elliot um you know bayless rosie schwartz and that crew and uh, boo ponch and billy and and then you know guys like Brett Perlmutter who took like all this time off from camp and then just showed up in a trailer one summer. Characters like the stories from him were just legendary. Um, or Jordan Shiner, mm, sure, it was my counselor, uh, my potential year, and Lodi. Um, so there's just so many different staff that just span the time that from you remember them from different segments um, of your time up there and. The guys that I started out with at camp, I didn't love my cabin. I was in the cabin with some Deerfield and Winneka Glencoe kids. Mm-hmm. No one from Highland Park or that grew up around me, and they all had, like, their own groups. Sure. So it took, like, a few years, but by the time I was on the other side of the cabins, I ended up switching cabins. And then back then, you just went to camp. They put you in a cabin. There were no friendship requests. You didn't call and say, you know, can you do this for my kid? Like, you didn't call camp. So um, eventually, uh, I ended up in a different cabin because the kids in my cabin stopped coming. 
And so I just had this crew that I went uh, through camp with, and on my potential year it was Ryan Liss and Steve Tepper, Adam Stein, John Pro, and Darren was there, and uh, his crew was a year younger than me, so they were always around. But there was we had a great, you know, as a camper and a staff, you have it's a totally different experience. And as a camper, it's fun and you love it. But if you go as a staff man, that's where your real bond tie to camp because you really relate more. I, I'm now tight with campers that I have or I run into them and, you know, I introduce them to my son and they're like, your dad was like my favorite counselor. I loved him. That's you know, awesome. Sort of thing. And, I, and so I try to impose that on him. But it's just, it's the, the generational thing is that there is no separation. You went to camp, you're part of the family. Yeah, it's really one of the, the amazing things about camp. I mean, that's where all this really started, was watching the old-timers come up and visit the boys of summer and sit on the week bench with the 10-year-olds, and, and like they're having the same conversation. It doesn't matter. They get it. They know where everything is. They know where the recall is. They get what it means when it's a bad stunt. Like, whatever the story is, they get it, and it works. And it all it's all just one big story. So what was that like to make that transition and be staff guys? Like, were you super excited for it? Were you scared of it? Was it? I was more excited. <laughs> Because I saw Brett on staff with mm. his friends, and I was close with Brett's friends too, and so I wanted to go do whatever they were doing. Sure, <laughs> and I heard all the stories. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, I, I had enough. Uh, I had such a great experience as a camper. Um, I was in cabin thirteen for two years, and uh, and when I was in cabin thirteen, what I was the youngest one, so. Um, was it 1988? I was in a cabin with like Darren Annixter and John Goodman and David Sears and Sid Foreman Motion. Um, it, there were actually three age groups in 13 at that point because they didn't have so many campers. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was so fun because you weren't just with an age group ahead, you were with an age group two years older. And it was insane. <laughs> Elliot did not like that. <laughs> no. There was a record number of early uh, lights out. But we had so much fun. It was great just hanging out with those guys. And then eventually when I, they, my uh, my year was the first year they had cabin 14. Mm. Because people were going to end up being in cabin 13 for three years. And they didn't gotcha. do that. So they transitioned. There were only four of us there. Uh, we were in the counselor's lodge. Oh, I was like, oh, that was really... No, good guys. <laughs> we were in the council stuff where Stu is now. Okay. We were back there. So we had a refrigerator, like a separate room, and then two bunk beds. Oh, there's room. only four of you. So like, that's the whole cabin is that little right. double right. room there. And no, no morning, staff. And no morning activity. No staff. No staff. Yeah, no staff. <laughs> no morning activity. No morning activity because it's instruction. <laughs> and we're like, we don't want to go to instruction. So at the time, Danny was, you know, catering to us. He's like... You don't want to go to instruction, then fine, don't go to instruction. Wow. And so what about your we, trip day activity? Right. So we would I'll get to that. So we would sleep in in the That's morning. Amazing. We would skip breakfast, sleep in, wake up late, like go sit on the yellow bench and just relax. The problem with that is by the end of the summer I'm making it to Collegiate Week. I was so out of shape because I never woke up in the morning. <laughs> you played like five games the right. whole summer. <laughs> So, and then uh, trip day, where he got us jet skis. So we'd been jet skis. <laughs> right. yeah, I know, it's like a big right? That's insanity. Right, right. So a lot of the staff would come into, like, our quarters and come hang out with us. Sure. Um, the one of them, turns out to be my brother-in-law, would come in there and, like, use our shower facilities. It's like, I'm taking a shower here before I go out. 
So he'd come in, like, use our shower. Um, and then a lot of times in the morning, they would come in and be like, and wake us up. Be like, you guys are going to wait for us. You need to learn how to be staff men, whatever. They just didn't want to wait the tables right. first thing in the morning. Sure. <laughs> so my friend Amy Ross is smart, made Adam Motion pay him to wait the tables. And Ross like, I'll do it. Just pay me. My future brother-in-law would come in, like, beat me up a little bit. Be like, you are waiting the table for me. I'm like, no, I am not. He's like, yes, you are. I would wait the table for him. <laughs> what a racket. What a great summer. <laughs> right. That was incredible. Uh, the only problem with that summer was we had a family trip. My grandparents had their anniversary. And so we had to go on a, a family trip for the first two weeks of camp. So oh, we had to wow. show up late. To camp, yeah, that right. Was rough. Yeah, it <laughs> drove up like a, drove up like a week late, and it was a Tuesday, uh, a trip day. Right. And I'm like figuring out where to go, and you're like, oh, I'm headed to the waterfront. I guess we have jet skis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, and, and I was there. It was after uh, a couple guys uh, got kicked out of camp. Yeah. And so <laughs> I ended up the yeah. cabin I was supposed to be in it turned out to be a different. That was the year I uh, with Darren. Nice. Like Kevin, 10 or Nice. Did you guys go to the Dells yet? Was that or did that come later for the older guys? My first year was when they my first, my potential year was the first year they did a potential trip, and we went to uh, Mackinac. Nice. You went to Mackinac. I went to the Dells. Yeah. Nice. I think we may have been the first year going to the Dells, first or second year. So as staff guys, you guys talked about the bonding that happens once you become staff. Part of that is. Zempelmans or <laughs> all the other places that might serve something of a slightly more adult nature. What was the staff and now having nights out part of things like for you guys? Well, the, the, the rule back then was as long as you're back by Reveille in the morning and can function, we don't care what you do and when you get back to camp. So it was pretty free reign and the girls camps were kind of pretty free reign too. And as long as you had someone covering your cabin or something like that, mm-hmm. you're all good. So there was a lot of going out. Um, you know, we would go to uh, Johnny's Mother's Rainbows. That was one place that changed name every year. Oh. VT, the Village Tavern, which is now that, um, it's across from the movie theaters now like that. I know that was legendary. I miss that. There was like a I would disco hear the story, but I never made it there. <laughs> so the guys that didn't have good ideas, you know, someone would st- go in and stand by the back door, and when you knock, they'd like open the door and you sneak in and like run into the bathroom so they don't see you, and then like once you're in, you're in. Right. Uh, but that place was legendary. It was yeah. kind of like um, uh, Studio, Studio 54. <laughs> that's what Sure, that's that's the one. Yeah, it was like Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, or then you know going out, hanging out at Silver Dollar Lake or the Shannon Clear, and it was it was fun, you know. But everyone was responsible, like you know, watching out for one another and things like that. But you know, back then we just it was it was free reign. Yeah, was Harry's uh, already on the list too, or Harry's was, had just I think got closed down mm. for an alleged drug bust. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Which then became in luck. Right, of course. Yeah. I would say that must be must be about the right time because I know by the early '90s it's in laws, I right. guess. Yeah. Or right. mid yeah, mid '90s, so, right? right. Yeah. Is Weasels already there at that point? Oh, Weasels yeah. have been legendary <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. They also, you know. With all the stuff that we got to do as staff, 
the fathers used to come up and stay in 14 in right. the dad's lodge. And they would go out with the staff to weasels and the pictures and the stories that came posted. <laughs> Quite legendary as well. Funny thing is, there was always a theme to every summer. So there was always like camp lingo, you know, always switch it up. And I remember one summer was uh, Jimmy Brunetti. Yes, he was heavy with, well, he always, like, he lived at Weasels. Basically, he had everything plastered on the wall, like all the signs, the Weasel signs and stuff. Wow. Um, He was legendary. He, like, lived there. But then he would also, like, stay at camp and he was heavy into the Ouija board. (laughs) <laughs> so he always did that. He went like above the maintenance uh, shed by the lake course. No lights on, bunch of staff, and they're all sitting there doing the Ouija board. <laughs> Seriously, like every other night, not out at Weasels, doing the Ouija board. It's quite a summer. <laughs> Just telling the future and looking at boobs. <laughs> That's awesome. There's always characters. Right. There's a Latin lover. Right, so the whole camp is cheering for this guy's Latin, and they would be like, Latin lover, Latin lover, and clap, and then eventually he stands up in the mess hall, and I can't do this for the podcast, but he'd like put his hands in the air, like, <laughs> like a champion. Yeah, I'm a champion. <laughs> That's lover. amazing. Yeah. Right. When I'm all said and done with this thing, there's going to be a book of just the best little encapsulated camp stories that we all have sitting in our back pocket that we pull out from time to time. So tell me a great camp story. This actually is from last summer, but it shows the history of camp and just the relationships and things that you remember. So last summer in May, Stu, Adam, and I go up to camp. Stu has some things to check on. We wanted to go over to our house and kind of open things up, get things ready for summer. And so, uh, it was beautiful weather. Go out on the pontoon, and we go we're hanging out on the lake. We decide we're going to go for dinner at Twelve Pines. So we go to Twelve Pines. Now, backtrack a little bit earlier in the day. We we're looking at some plaques, and you know, remembering this guy and that guy. And there was one guy who won. I don't know, maybe Pineapple League or something. We we're looking at the kids on the team, and his name was Mark Tushkowski. It was a one-year staff man, but you just remember Tush. It was built like a brick shit house and uh he was a good guy and so we're at 12 pines and we're sitting you know with the locals at 12 pines in may there's no one else besides the locals right. and so one guy comes over and sits next to the three of us he's sitting next to adam and on the other side of him is his wife and he won't stop talking to adam to where it's like are you ever going to talk to your wife like enough it's been like 20 minutes <laughs> And uh, he's like, oh, you know, we used to have a house on Catfish Lake, eh? And, uh, and we're like, oh, you know, we know Catfish Lake, right? Like, we're on it right now. And he's like, yeah, you know, there's this camp, Camp Ojibwa. You know, I have a friend who went to that camp. We're like, you have a friend who went to Camp Ojibwa? He's like, oh, you know the camp? We're like, yeah, we went, and this is one of the directors sitting right here. He's like, oh, we're like, you know, so who's your friend? He's like, uh, Tush, Mark Tushkowski. He's like, you know, that, that camp that's where everyone drives Mercedes-Benz and all the Cubs players went. Now, you have to understand that back then, Mercedes-Benz were pretty popular. There were definitely a plethora of them. Sure. But also, um, 
the Penguin, Ron Say, and Gary Matthews, the Sarge, playing for the Cubs back in the 80s, then their sons were at camp right. that one summer. I think Gary Matthews Jr. might have gone for two summers. It was in Adam's cabin. Right. But it was pretty funny how he stereotyped, you know, they all drive to the safety <laughs> and all the Cubs players go to Camp Ojibwa. Perfect. But the fact that he, like, brought up, we're like, Tush, you know, the guy that we actually had mentioned earlier in the day, just the randomness of the whole thing. And so now all of a sudden we've got a bond with this guy that we know the same. What's Tush doing today? Oh, I brought him up in the banking business and all this sort of stuff. So that's kind of my, you know, one great, there's so many. But sure. I felt this one was not self-serving and kind of <laughs> All that camp really has to offer is just yeah. this generational things that you remember, the stories, the connections, the people inside camp to outside camp it's just such a special special thing yeah and you touch on something um we didn't talk about but about the locals your family you guys have a house up there you're not the first camp family that's done that obviously there's been a ton over the years and then families that have moved up there or families from there that have now that moved to chicago and have connections because of camp people they met and got a job there there's so much of that crisscrossing on you what you don't expect you expect to go up there and be like oh yeah this is where camp is but town is town and it turns out, no, that's not actually true. There's tons of people in town who have a long-standing relationship with camp or people from camp or married people from camp, and it's really cool. Yeah, no, there's there are so many different relationships that just come from this entity that's been around for so long. But no, there's just camp. Camp, camp is special, and that's something that I, I think my son is picking up on as much as he loves it, but I also had started bringing him to camp to experience the place since he was six weeks old. He took his first steps in center field <laughs> on the campus. Like, you know, so he's grown up there. Yeah. Like you never know what, as an individual, you're going to pick up on and take away from camp. Yeah. Next up? So, you know, I was trying to think of one story, but I think it's really what camp symbolizes. So when... My kids have also grown up at camp, essentially. We started going to camp uh, before my kids were born uh, with my wife. And uh, we would stay at camp, really the house evolved from camp because we said, you know, camp is great. We love, you know, coming and staying at camp, but eventually we're going to have families and we want to be close to camp. We can't stay here. What can we do? So we ended up building a house and it had to be on the chain of lakes so we can get over to camp. Absolutely. That was, that was the only way we were buying a piece of property. Nice. But um, so when I had, my goal was to have uh, two boys and send them to Ojibwa. It's always the goal. <laughs> uh, but people would say to me, okay, well, what if your boys don't want to go to Ojibwa? I'm like, they'll go. They're like, well, what if they don't like sports? I'm like, they'll go. <laughs> Ojibwa is the best place for them. Mm. That's where they belong. So my son, Nathan, 11, uh, will be 11, and this will be his third summer at camp, and I'm sending my younger son, Bennett, who will be eight. Uh, this is his first year. I always tell them camp is about, not just about the sports, it's about hanging out. You have the sports, so you have something to do. You have to have something to talk about. But really, being at camp, hanging out with your friends, that's you know where you're going to have the real experiences. And that's... You know, they have had such, well, my older one has had such a great experience at camp, just being with his friends, meeting new people. 
but I transitioned to uh, my day at camp, and that was playing sports was great, but it was really about hanging out and yeah. the bonds that you make. Um, you know, I had a lot of people that were older and I was friends with, lost touch, but there was one day I ran into uh, David Sears at the Multiplex, which was a local gym in uh, Deerfield. Mm. And I hadn't seen him for years, but there was that bond. So I told him, let's, uh, let's hang out sometime. You know, you're in town. Let's go downtown. We'll hang out. We'll go to the bars. This was after college. So went out. Brett, you know, came out with us too. He said, can I bring my sister along? I said, sure. No problem. So we all went out. We started hanging out. Met his sister. Started hanging out with her. And uh, he you know, give me credit and say, thank you for asking me permission before you ask my sister out. So that's why I asked his sister out and we got married. Um, so the point is, she always knew our kids were going to go to Ojibwa. She saw the bonds that we had. Hmm. She saw uh, when she would visit camp and we would stay there that what went on at camp. It's not just about sports. It's not, people tell her, oh, it's so competitive. Yeah, it's competitive, but it's really the kids taking care of kids and the staff taking care of the kids and everyone's looking out for each other. Yeah. So that's really what it's all about. Nice. You guys are now grown-ups. You have kids, you have wives, you have things, you have houses, jobs, respectable grown-up <laughs> lives. Um, looking back, how would you say camp influenced your life? Camp gave me one of the best networks and closest friendships of my life. I, it's, there's just something about camp. You know, in college, you get that too, but it's over four years. This was over a much longer period of time where you're living with these guys nonstop for the, those eight weeks and you're, you know, you're playing sports, you're getting into trouble, you're... You know, the girl factor as you become staff, you know, there's just all these stories and things that you pack into those eight weeks and year after year after year. But it really gave me, um, it gave me these relationships. And you look at like what Darren does with the BPS, and that is all just camp relationships and the, the age span. Now, yeah. I now, you know, call up uh, buddy and it was one of my former campers but it's a buddy of mine you know the fact that we're six years apart in age or more doesn't matter yeah and it, it's just um camp just gives you this a feeling of home too whenever you step onto the campgrounds you know there that drive up is great they're like oh it's so far it's far it's nothing <laughs> and, and part of the fun is that drive up to camp you know that for sure hours in the car you're with your buddies, to, you know, laughing, telling stories. Those are some of the memories I have of the drive up as staff. I mean, it was yeah. great. Uh, it was Those great. are legendary because you would caravan with everyone and then you'd stop. I mean, that's the right. most fun. You'd pass like five guys getting so pulled excited. over. <laughs> you know, there was always a crew that always got pulled over. There'd be one cop right. car and like five guys. you know them all and right. they all got tagged by the cops. Um, but, but yeah, camp. You know, but camp also taught you discipline, taught you how to fold a shirt, make a bed, um, be responsible for yourself, try different foods. Grow um, up. Yeah. I mean, if I didn't have camp, because I was soft when I was younger, I don't know if you remember <laughs> that, but like, I was competitive and I would get intense, but I didn't know how to like engage that. 
Mm. Going to camp, it like taught me how to toughen up a little bit and grow up a lot too. You're on your own. You have to figure out a way. You got to become friends with people. You have to, you have to also find your way in sports. You know, a lot of times you're the oldest age group and you could lead the field, but then you have to play the next year. You're low man on the totem pole. You got to play with the older kids. You have to figure out like where your space is and how you can get yourself involved. So yeah. Um, but camp, you know, camp has done so much for us. Um, we, you know, people that haven't gone to Ojibwa just don't understand it. They always say it's too competitive. My son could never make it there. Um, my wife knows. She's like, I can't convince them. You have to go there to feel it. You have to go to understand. Um, but we always try to give back. It's all about the relationships. And, you know, when someone's looking for a job, um, you know, we take them in. We'll talk to them. Uh, there are a couple guys that's uh, through camp. They're doing some, well, one guy we had to gave him an internship for a summer because he needed something on his resume and he couldn't go back to camp. We're like, you could take off whatever time you want to go back to Ojibwa. Nice. And then this summer, uh, Adam Nadler has taken like a month to come into our office. He needs something to put on his resume. We're like, look, you should go back to camp. That is where you belong. So come to us for a month. You could do some things. Maybe you'll learn some things. That's fine. But go back to camp. That's awesome. And live it up. So we know perspective. And it's all about camp and those relationships. Yeah. That's where you're best served. Nadler, if he's listening to this, and his first job, his first task is going to be to listen to this podcast. So if he doesn't listen to it before, you know, like you have to get to know your bosses a little bit. That's it. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, boys, did we forget anything? I don't think so. We covered a lot. Yeah. Widespread. Well, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate you coming out. This has been awesome. Thanks for having This is a good one. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Adam and Brett Bohm right here on the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast. Fantastic time with the fellas. Honestly, we stopped talking after the interview, turned off the mics, and then sat there and talked for probably another 45 minutes. I think one of the guys actually missed a meeting at work because of it. It was fantastic. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampOjibwaHistory.org. Or just come on by the website and check out what's going on over there, campojibblehistory.org. In the coming weeks, I'll be making several trips to Chicago. So I'm going to be looking for guys in the Chicago area, catching up on some of the guys that I already owe a podcast interview to. Looking forward to that. Should be a lot of fun. Okay, that is it. I'm here in Lexington, Kentucky. The stars are shining bright over the home of the Wildcats. I'm going out for a cigar. <laughs>